Join me in prayer before our scripture reading. Thank you for the scriptures, Lord. You have not left us in the dark along the way. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, a hunger for truth and a thirst for wisdom, that we may receive your word and live it out in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our nation, and in the world. Amen. Our reading today is from 1 Peter. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, everybody. For those of you I don't know, I'm Garen Narain. Um, my wife, Ellen, and I, our family, we've been coming to All Souls for about 10 years now. And I've got the privilege of being able to welcome our speaker today. So about three years ago, I met Benjamin. And uh, we met in a trailer outside of school. And he gave me his vision on Peace Prep Academy. And I was literally just blown away on his goals, sort of like that audacity to want to bring a high quality education and build community in English Avenue. So after that conversation, I quickly realized I wanted to be a part of what he was building and join the board. Um, little did I know that joining the board for a school is very much like running a business. And Peace Prep is very much a startup business. Um, so unlike a lot of boards, we'd have some really difficult um, conversations about where we were going. Um, this year, this week, we just started school like everyone else, and we added an eighth grade class. For a lot of businesses, coming back for another year, when you have those conversations, it's like, okay, we're going to increase the budget by one or two percent. Um, when you add an eighth grade class and you have 100 students and you have teachers, it's not that simple. So we had a lot of conversations going into this year. And I got to say, for a room full of Christians, those conversations got pretty spicy. <laughs> and like really spicy. <laughs> But for good reasons, because we are affecting families, children, community. And, you know, there's always a lot of thoughts on needs, what would be nice and must-haves. And um, everyone goes around, everyone gets to, to speak and, and say their part. And like a lot of good leaders, Benjamin always seems to find himself speaking last. Um, and he always comes with sort of that comforting, sort of drop the mic, like this is done question. 
And as we were leading into this season and having those debates about how much and where and how many students and how do we do this, he always just ends the debate with one simple question. And that's literally, when has he not provided for us? And with that, the debate is pretty much over, you know. Hope and faith wins, and we do what's best for those kids, for the families. So everyone, please help me welcome the founder and head of school at Peace Prep Academy, Benjamin Wills. Thank you, Jaren. It's a joy to be back with you all. I've been on a little tour uh, this month on the east side of town, experiencing the ecumenical diversity of the east side of Atlanta. It's been very fun. So I'm excited to be with you all today to kind of finish it off and finish off this series that you've been in on the one another statements and um, excited to talk about serving one another. So let's do that. Uh, About a year ago, I, is that me or somebody's going to fix that, I assume. Good. All right. Uh, I did my first ever escape room. Anybody done an escape room? Uh, the pro- this, this is a bizarre kind of proposition to me, that we would pay someone to lock us in a room that would require us to figure out how to get out. It's bizarre. But the premise at this place we went was that we watched the video, and it kind of set up the scene for us. And so our task, um, we went as a school leadership team, was to complete this set of uh, puzzles to do our homework so that we could get to the dodgeball tournament. To, and, uh, so if, to win is to escape, and there's like a timer going, and it's very uh, anxiety-inducing, if you will. Uh, but one of the things that they tell you as soon as you go in is like, hey, if you, the door's not actually locked. You, know, you can get out anytime you want. Um, but also, if you need help, if you need a hint, there's a button you can press. And, uh, but you all have to agree. You all have to agree that you want to press the button. And so inevitably, there was a few times that we were stuck and we would need a hint. And so we'd press the button and they wouldn't give you an answer per se. They would just give you more questions or tell you how to, how to figure out what the puzzle was or the, the pattern was. This was the clue. Well, I'm happy to report that we did escape. I'm here today. This is not a hologram. But sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, sometimes when I'm interacting with the scriptures, I wish there was like a button I could press. Like, God, would you give me a hint? Would you give me a clue to help figure out my way through this sordid thing we call life to lead me to greater freedom? And I believe, thanks be to God, that the Holy Spirit often will do this in my life. I wonder if that's true for you. But again, like in the escape room, the Holy Spirit doesn't give me the answer. I typically just get a a clue, a pattern, a question, or multiple questions. Um, And through answering those questions, I'm led into greater freedom. And so that's my hope this morning, is we can do something like that with this text, that we can find some questions here that would lead us to greater freedom as it relates to this idea of serving one another, which is no small task. As Garen said, it gets spicy when you're in a room full of Christians trying to figure out how to serve one another. So the big idea this morning I want to come around is that serving one another is an invitation to an embodied faith that recalls, restores, and renews. Serving one another is an invitation to an embodied faith that recalls, restores, and renewed. 
said a different way, faith is embodied in us, between us, and around us. In us, between us, and around us. In a third way, maybe most simply, serving one another is our invitation to get in on what God is doing in the world. It's our invitation to get in on what God is doing in the world. And I want to say this as a primer. I'm not going to really answer the question of how we serve one another. I'm probably going to frustrate you a little bit with that. But I more so want to come around why we ought to serve one another. Like Why should we do this? And my hope is that by establishing a why and giving some guiding questions here, that you will go on your own journey with the Holy Spirit and with the Scriptures, and that that would be a better guide for you to learn how to serve one another than anything that I might tell you in this 25 or so minutes, right? So let's spend some time in, in the pattern, in the, in the passage this morning. The passage begins in kind of a, a weird way. It says, The end of all things is at hand, and therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. And this comes in the middle of a suffering sandwich. Now, the way we have the scriptures today, these chapters are broken up in this, in the greater context of this chapter, the writer is talking about suffering, individual suffering, then our passage comes in, and then communal suffering. And so we're right in the middle of a thought that the author is having. And so to peek into that thought, I found some encouragement in that because what's happening here is that we're being encouraged to serve one another, not in spite of hard times, but in light of hard times. Right When something hard is happening in the world around us, we're encouraged to serve one another. In the course of our lives, serving one another isn't reserved for smooth sailing. It's not reserved for our sunny days, our best days. It's not primarily meant for the times when we're getting along, where we all answer the question the same way, where we're all able to seemingly find the note on the page and play the music beautifully. No, what we find in these words is that the end is at hand. (laughs) A certain kind of activity, an intense kind of activity is being named. And this letter that we're interacting with is written to a group of people that's been scattered, that's facing persecution. The government isn't a respecter of their faith. Therefore, I can imagine that words about being self-controlled and sober-minded are like kind of odd and not super helpful to the reader. Perhaps like you and me, uh, the reader of this letter would find themselves disoriented. Maybe they would be in a season of doubt or disillusionment by the station of life or what the moment is saying to them. And maybe they're asking questions that like you and I ask all the time, like, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Or maybe they're just saying things to God like, it's not supposed to go down like this, is it? If you allow yourself for a moment, just pause and just let the Holy Spirit run some highlights across your mind. Let's start big, maybe like the last couple of years. Let's let those things run across your mind. I'll name some of them. We've experienced a global pandemic, racial unrest, riots, becoming more aware of this Christian nationalism thing division within the body of Christ around various theological topics. Maybe you're seeing some of those things or thinking about some of those things. Or maybe think about your own life for a second, maybe like the last hour, the last week. Maybe it's like 
something like a diagnosis or a death or a lost relationship. Maybe there's division in your own family or your own community. Maybe you find yourself as a person saying, God, is it supposed to be this way? Well, what you're potentially feeling and what I'm potentially feeling here is a dissonance. It's a gap with the end that we have in mind and that we can imagine in the end that God has in mind. Thanks be to God, our ability to comprehend this or imagine this isn't the determining factor for God's intended end. There's a larger, truer story that all of us are living into, and I think that's what the writer is calling our attention to with this statement that yes, there is an end at hand, but it's within the context of a greater story that is always at work in our lives. It's the story of God. It's the larger, truer story that's happening around us. And I just want to remind us some of the plot points of this story. It starts with a God hovering over chaos and darkness and breathing and speaking and creating a world and calling it good. And then it kind of goes bad. Sin enters the picture, fractures the whole world, tears the fabric deeply. But then we see God has a plan for that. So we see God choose a people to bring healing and wholeness to the world. Those people are kind of knuckleheads like us, right? So they have a lot of hard times and bumps and bruises. But then God's like, you know what? Let's get in the story. And so this character, Jesus, gets introduced. This God becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood as the message beautifully captures it. And then this Jesus, this God in a body, lives and dies and resurrects and then sends us this promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps for the reader of this letter and for us today, the end is at hand isn't all bad news. Perhaps there's a little good news in that when we start to zoom out and recognize that God's in control of all this. Perhaps we could be challenged by that to say, hey, yeah, this isn't what God has in mind, but God does have a plan. God's up to something, and therefore being asked to be sober-minded and self-control is really just an invitation to recall the reality of the story we're living in. It's an invitation to being aware of what's going on inside of us so that we can be aware of what's happening around us. We can't serve one another very well if we don't know what's happening inside of us. Our service to one another is built on this foundation that there's a bigger plan at work, that what I can see and what you can see isn't the fullness of the story. And therefore... We're free to serve one another when we're able to recall that God's the center of the story and not either one of us. We forget that. I forget that. I'm not the center of the story. God is. This is what it is to be self-controlled and sober-minded. The end is at hand invites us to, in our bodies, recall that the world, yes, is in fact deeply fractured that the beautiful tapestry God's weaving together is torn, but not irreparably. It can be put back together. You and I can be put together again. And serving one another becomes a way by which we do this. The author mentions prayer here, and I'm curious if just a prayer life that's curious and inquisitive could lead us to some of the places where we're hurting so we might do less hurting of one another, right? 
if being sober-minded and self-control in our prayer might lead us to understand and ask this question of ourselves, this is part of the pattern, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? What if that was the starting point of our serving one another, asking ourselves, where does it hurt? If you're anything like me, you probably don't know right away. That might even be like a frustrating question. I'm very, I very often don't know where it's hurting in myself, and that leads me to some dark places. A year ago when I was here, it was the day before I was going to start a two-month sabbatical, and I was pretty worn out. Like the 10 years of life and ministry in an under-resourced context had taken a toll on my body, but I wasn't really sure even where it hurt, but I knew I needed some space. And so in that space, over the course of those months, I had some margin. And so I did some extra therapy, and I did spiritual direction, and I did um, a, a kind of therapy called craniosacral therapy. I'm on the east side of Atlanta, so maybe somebody knows what that is. Any, anybody craniosacral therapy? I got one, a couple. Yeah, here we go. So this process is mind-blowing, but essentially it relies on this science that there's a rhythm between our cranium and our sacrum and if that when that rhythm is not flowing because of the things that happen in our lives then we don't you know operate at peak capacity or whatever whatever kind of analogy you want to use there and so you go and you lay in the presence of another person and that person gently touches your body in places where this this trauma or this stress exists and releases it in this sacred healing thing takes place. And in that process, I was really reminded that the God who made my body good wanted and desired my body to be whole, and I needed to be aware of the places where I was hurting so that I could better, more appropriately show up to people around me. That I was, I was no longer capable of serving anyone else because I wasn't even capable of serving myself. Maybe you've felt that at some point in your life. I share that just to say that other, our service to others has to flow out of our awareness of where we are hurt so that we can join God in mending those places that are hurting in others around us. We can't give away what we don't have. So we can't participate in the healing of anyone else. We can't participate in the serving of anyone else if we have not been served and healed. And the Holy Spirit wants to get in on that process with you. And that's good news. So maybe you don't have uh, the time or the space in your life to go do craniosacral therapy. That's okay. But a practical next step you could take is take five to ten minutes this week. And with the Holy Spirit, do a body scan. Sit still. Anybody take five to ten minutes for stillness? It's hard. Just do that. Just sit still. And just with the Holy Spirit, kind of go through your body from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, as my mother used to pray over me. And just ask God, where does it hurt? And ask the Holy Spirit, when you find those places, what is happening there? And this is what recall can look like. This is what recall can look like. This is partnering with the Spirit of God in a sober, self-controlled prayer to ask God, where does it hurt? And in this way, we are working out our faith within us. We're working out our faith within us. This is important because if we're not aware of what's happening in us, it will be hard to be aware of what's happening between us. And serving one another is about what's happening between us, right? 
And so after we read the end is near, we then get this encouragement from the author. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's hard. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So again, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we can recall it or not, there's just something that's true, and that's that every one of our stories has been impacted by sin. Our own sin, the sin of other people, that's what's happening in the world. Each of us has been affected, but here we're invited to restory that sin by participating in a pattern that Jesus actually set into motion of loving and serving one another. So Peter, who's potentially writing this letter that we're reading today, is somebody who was with Jesus. And if you'll remember for a moment, Peter had some pretty big moments with Jesus. There was a time where uh, Jesus started talking about how he was going to die, and then Peter protested, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. There was that time where Jesus uh, was telling him some things, and Peter was like, yeah, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm all in. There was the time where they're having a meal and Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and serving them bread and telling them what it looks like to love one another. Peter was there for that. There was this one time that Peter was like, hey, Jesus, how's it going? And Jesus was like, yeah, good, but you're going to deny me three times. Peter was like, nah, not me. Same guy. And then there was a time when Jesus was like walking on the water and sort of was like a ghost. And he was like, hey, come out here, walk. And Peter got on the water and then fell in. It was a mess. And there was the other thing where they were supposed to be praying in the garden. And Jesus is crying and sweating blood. And these soldiers show up. And Peter's like, I got this. And he cuts the guy's ear off. That's this guy. And then he actually does that denial thing three times <laughs> that Jesus said he was going to do. But then the amazing part with the restoring part of this is that Jesus turns it and he has a fire and cooks some fish for Peter and asks him three times if he loves him and he restories that whole thing. He creates a new memory for Peter. And I wonder if that's a bit what the author is inviting us to do in our serving of one another, to create new stories where there's been brokenness between us to create new stories of love and healing. Peter would have had firsthand experiential knowledge of this in his body, the power of what it means to serve one another. He participated with God in a process that we're invited into, a sacred process of healing that which has been broken between us and the world around us. You see, Peter here is just really echoing Jesus' call to love earnestly and serve one another. That's what all the best writers and preachers and teachers do. Just say what the guy said. But Peter is a credible witness to God in a body coming to serve every person he encountered. As Peter knew firsthand this Jesus who was God that chose to be born as a needy migrant baby. And Peter was friends with this Jesus who was a king that said, I'm comfortable with being born in a stable. Peter knew this Jesus, this king who would dine with the unmentionables and touch the untouchables, the king who would ride on a donkey instead of a horse, the king who would wash his disciples' feet, the king who would beat death by dying and then answer any doubts about his resurrection by saying, yeah, just 
take your hand and put it here in my side. And Peter knew this king who invited him for breakfast when Peter was probably covered with shame and the stink of the ocean. And this king sat down with him and had a meal with him and served him to cover all that sin. And it's in my imagination that this is the very thing Jesus wants to do with each and every one of us so that we can do this with one another. We need to be reminded that it's possible to heal the places where we've been wounded and the places where we have wounded. And this process takes place by serving one another. Serving one another is how we're reminded of that. That Yeah, I don't always get it right, and you don't always get it right. But here we are working together to figure out how do we restory this sin and shame thing? How do we restory? How do we repair the brokenness in our relationships with one another? Serving one another is the mechanism by which we can do that. Maybe said more simply, we need each other. We need each other. We need to realize that. And my imagination tells me that all the one another statements that you've been talking about are making this overwhelming case that we were designed for each other. That God made us like this. God made us to be in relationship with one another. God made us to serve one another. When God says in the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone, that's probably more than just a statement about marriage. Something about the DNA in which the God of the universe has made the world. And then Jesus goes above and beyond to show us what it looks like to show up for one another if we're willing. And it looks like laying down our lives. And that's hard. And that's complicated. Earnest love, hospitality, serving one another, all points to the reality that the antidote to this disease of sin in our world is the restoring work of laying down our lives for one another. That perhaps there's not another way. Because if there is, I imagine God would have told us. And so in a world, in a culture that will continually ask us in subtle ways and not so subtle ways to self-preserve, to look out for ourselves, to ensure that our comfort and our safety are always within our control, Jesus says there's another way and asks us to follow. And I want to be clear about something here. Serving one another is not about earning a scout badge. It's not about a gold star. It's not about being in the Christian club. Serving one another is the outworking of a life that recalls there's a gap in what is and what should be and then seeks to build a bridge. It's serving one another is seeing that there's a deep tear in the fabric and seeking to make repair, to mend. And so if the question of recall is where does it hurt, the question of restoring is where can I mend? Where can I mend? I would encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit that question this week, but not just this week, through the course of your whole life. Because as long as you are a person that lives in a body, you will need mending and there will be mending for you to do. And I say this as someone who's seeking to mend things in my own life. There's a tendency to hear what I'm saying here as like a a large existential question, right? About something deeply broken in the world or solving some major problem. I just want to reel that back in. 
Start here, start here, right? One to one, two to one, that kind of thing. One of the dangers of, of Western Americanized Christianity is that we are conquerors. We set in our hearts and in our minds very unrealistic expectations about the kingdom of God, about how it's going to come and where it's coming and how it will come. So I just want to bring this back to your personal life, right? Just to you for a moment. Serving one another is hard primarily because relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. So I just want to encourage you to start in your family, perhaps in your marriage, perhaps with your children, perhaps with your coworkers or your small group or your community of friends. This is where mending actually begins. It's really possible that all, this is all, this whole proposition is like a one relationship at a time kind of thing. And that's frustrating to me at least. That we're able to heal in our own lives and then seek repair and restore the impacts of sin on our individual relationships. Then we'll be allowed to take that healing into our communities and begin to mend the world around us. Think about this. There's a group of 12 people and some other people who were in proximity to this one guy that changed the whole world. We're thousands of years later still talking about this story. And what was said of that group of people? That they were a community in which they had everything in common. They sold their property to combine their resources. There was nobody who had a need among them. And God was adding to their numbers daily could we say that about our lives? It's my imagination that God's inviting us into this pattern, into this partnership, that God knows where this is all going, and God wants us to be the ones that help take it there. In this way, our faith is being worked out between us, between us. This is where we can show that, yes, we believe, God, that you did, in fact, resurrect from the dead by the way we serve one another. So when we've identified where it hurts and we're asking God where we can mend, there's a third element of this process, which is renewal. I love that about the mission statement of this church, that you're trying to participate in renewal. It's what we're all trying to do. The passage says this, as good stewards of God's varied grace or various giftings or various grace, depending on the translation, whoever speaks, speak oracles of God. Whoever serves, serve by the strength God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. Without being overly complicated here, this suggests to me that God has made us to participate in seeing the end that God has in mind come to be and that God's given us each a particular part to play in this story. Oh, that's good news. This means that for you and for me, we only have to be whatever God made us to be. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. Not anyone else. Just who God made you and designed you to be. God's not asking you to be a superhero. God's not asking you to solve every problem in the world or in your own life. God is not asking you to be all things to all people. But God is inviting and God is empowering through the Holy Spirit to use the particular gift that God's given you to benefit someone else. And again, 
This is where the rubber meets the road. Because the world that we're being formed in will form us to use our gifts and our resources for the benefit of ourselves, with or without our permission, with or without our awareness. Many of us live just completely unaware to this reality. Serving one another begins to move us then from self-centeredness to self-awareness so that we can be others-oriented. So we can be others-oriented. And that is not the grain of this culture. Just be clear about that. Serving one another is something we do with our bodies. It's a choice we make with our time, with our talent, and our treasure, as is often said. And that embodied act is meant to participate with God in the renewal of the world. The end that God has in mind is everything being renewed, nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it was intended to be. There's not death, there's not disease, there's not despair, there's not tears, there's only truth, there's only good news, and the even better news is that God is asking us to get in on that activity. I have no idea why, because if it were me, there would be a lot of other ways we could get this done. But God invites you, and God invites me, even when we don't know where we're hurting or how we're hurting others, God is still inviting us. And so if you've asked the question of where does it hurt and where can I mend, this is where you might ask, how can I mend? How can I mend? God, how did you specifically make me to participate in the mending of this world is a big question, I'm aware, but it's a good one. It's worth asking if we want to live with greater freedom. Get out of that escape room. Asking God the specific ways you've been made to participate in the mending of the world is a great next step towards serving others. For me, this happened in the Lenten season of 2012. Garen told you I started a school uh, the other popular story is that I started that school because I asked God to physically allow me to dream for 40 days and for 40 nights and said, how did you make me? And what did you make me to do? And what does love God and neighbor mean in the context of this community? I just go hard or go home, I guess. <laughs> and God gave me the vision for a school. And for three years, I told anybody who would listen to me or anybody who would get in my van in a non-creepy way and drive around my community <laughs> what I thought God wanted to do there. And three years after that dream, we started a school with 12 kids and three people on staff. And we just started our ninth school year this week with over 100 kids and 40 people on staff. And what I'm reminded of in this season is that there's 40 different ways that kids, families, and communities can experience the healing power of God. There's 40 different ways and more. Some teach and some sweep. Some serve meals and some put bandages on. Some people monitor recess and some people make sure that families have access to food, to jobs, to clothing, and to stable housing. Some people ensure that that housing is built in a safe, quality, and dignified, affordable way. Some cultivate the imagination of children through art and music and performing arts. Some walk with kids and families in restorative processes when boundaries are crossed and harm happens. In all these ways and so many more, God is mending the world. 
He's putting it back together through each of these people and in each of these ways. And I'm privileged to watch that. And so this isn't a story about how faithful or obedient or gifted I am. It's a story about how God desperately wants to mend the world and asks us to join in that mending. I'm not great with numbers, but uh, the math is probably like a couple hundred people are in here. And so imagine that there's a couple hundred ways just in this room that God would like to heal the world. That makes me more hopeful. In this way, our faith is being worked out around us. This is a story that we're all being invited into by God. One where every single person that God has made, which, spoiler alert, is every single person, has a part to play. And so hear the invitation this morning. Serve one another in a way that recalls the end that God has in mind. Restory and repair relationships and actively participate with God in the renewal of all things. Let's pray. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help? God, we acknowledge that these are not things that we can do alone, and we thank you that you did not make us to do them alone. We thank you that you have come alongside us. We thank you that you have sent your promised Holy Spirit. We acknowledge it. We ask that we would be recipients of your grace and that by that grace, we might go about mending the world around us. There's plenty broken. There's plenty missing. There's plenty that's not as it should be. But God, you are more capable. You are more capable and you desire to fix everything that has gone wrong. Your resurrected son is among us and is participating with us in the renewal of everything. And so we say yes to wherever it is that you would lead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.